0: Well, I'd invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me, if you have them. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, will be in verses 18 to 30 together. John 13, we'll be looking at verses 18 to 30. And as you make your way there in your Bibles, uh, we are in the second half of the book of John. And in the second half of the book of John, we find... That Jesus is in the last week of his life. As we turn the page to chapter 13, Jesus is just a few days uh, before he is going to die. He's going to be buried, and then the third day he's going to rise again. Well, as we find Jesus in the last few days of his life, his ministry is not public anymore. It's more private. Jesus is not ministering to multitudes at this point. He's ministering to the few of his disciples And the reason he focuses on them now at this point is he wants to prepare them for what lies ahead. You see, he wants to prepare them not just for his death and his resurrection, but after that, his ascension. You see, when he ascends to the right hand of the Father, he's going to give an assignment to his disciples. And he wants them to be prepared to execute the assignment that he's given them. Uh, He's been teaching them and preparing them for the past three years, but he has final reminders to give them. He has final principles for them to apply. And as he teaches them and instructs them, he's a teacher who doesn't just tell them what to do, he sets the example for them to follow. And at the beginning of chapter 13, in the first 17 verses, where we were last, we learn that Jesus is at uh, the Last Supper. Now, John, his focus is... On the conversations that take place at the Last Supper. The other Gospels tell us how Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. And he's redefining what the Passover feast is all about. He says, this bread is a symbol of my body that's broken for you. This cup is is a symbol of my blood that's shed for you. It's a reminder of his sacrificial death on the cross. But, the, but John, in the gospel, in this gospel, he focuses on the conversations that take place. And and as Jesus is with his disciples, and they're eating at the table, Jesus, he leaves the table, and he goes over and takes off of his outer garment, if you recall, and he puts on the garments or the clothes of a servant. Not just any servant, the The servant of the lowest rank, because the servant of the lowest rank was that servant who washed the feet of the guests who were in the house. And as he puts on this towel, he begins to wash the feet of his disciples one by one. And it's quite the sight to see if you are there to think about. And by the time he gets to Peter, if you remember, Peter says, No way, (laughs) not me. You're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. If you recall, Jesus wasn't just talking about feet. He was talking about our hearts. If he doesn't have an opportunity to wash our hearts, we can't wash them ourselves. And Peter says, because he thinks he's talking just about feet, Peter says, well, in that case, wash all of me. Wash my hands. Wash my head, Jesus. Wash me. And Jesus, if you recall, he says, if I've washed your feet, that's enough. I've washed all of you. And then he made that comment in verses 10 to 11, and he, he said this, he said, but not all of you are clean. Because as the note is made there, one of you will betray me. In other words, Judas would betray him. Um, And so Jesus washes their feet. And then in verses 12 to 17, just to give you a reminder where we're at, Jesus, he says, I want you to follow my example. As I have washed your feet, we would expect him to say, now wash my feet. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, wash one another's feet. And then Jesus says, if, if you know these things in verse 17, blessed are you who do them. Well, as Jesus set the example of humility and invited his disciples to adopt an attitude of humility, after his resurrection and his ascension that will follow, the manner in which the, the disciples are going to go out to the ends of the earth is, is they are going to adopt an attitude of humility, one of service. An attitude of humility is not one where you leave from the, lead from the back, where you're driving the people forward, you know, hitting them, go forward. No, it's, it's leading from the front. You set the example and you serve those whom you are leading and you are discipling and you are pointing to Jesus. Well, Jesus prepares them, as we've said, by inviting them to adopt an attitude of humility, but he's also preparing them by means of predicting The betrayal of one of his close associates, one of his disciples, Judas. And so today in our text, verses 18 to 30, as he's at this meal and he has these conversations, we're going to talk about what the betrayal of of Judas, well, what the betrayal of Jesus by Judas reveals about who Jesus is. Because if you recall, the point of John's gospel in chapter 20, verse 31 is an invitation for you and I to believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that by believing, we might have life in his name. So the question I, I want us to consider together is, as we consider the betrayal of Judas, what do we learn about Jesus in light of it? Because if you haven't heard the, the, the story, if you haven't walked through the gospel, and you haven't walked through the narrative, I've got questions on my mind. Did Jesus know about Judas? Did Jesus, in his weakness, somehow choose a man who was going to betray him? Why did Jesus even choose Judas? Who is this Jesus, and why was he betrayed by one of his closest associates? What does the betrayal of Judas, of Jesus by Judas reveal about him? Let's go ahead and read the text. Verse 18 reads this way. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And now I tell you before it comes that when it come when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and Testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give piece of bread when I have dipped it and having dipped the bread he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon now after the piece of bread satan entered him and then jesus said to him what do you do what you do do quickly but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him for some thought because judas had the money box that jesus had said to him buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor having received the piece of bread he then went out immediately and it was night so we're going to take some time to unpack this text and talk about what does the betrayal of Jesus by Judas reveal about who Jesus is what do we learn about him and as we walk through our text, if I could break down the text for you, we're first going to talk about the description of the betrayal and how Jesus describes it, verses 18 to 20. And then in verses 21 to 26, we're going to talk about the identification of the betrayer as Jesus identifies him. And then we're going to talk about the conclusion of the matter in verses 27 to 30. But let's begin in verses 18 to 20, talk about the description of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas in the text we see how it's described in verse 18 it says I do not speak concerning all of you now it's important to consider the background information we've already said that Jesus uh, has just washed the feet of his disciples and he says follow the example that I have set and he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So how is the, this betrayal described? It's described as a betrayal that does not lead to blessing for the one who is going to betray him. Let me read it to you again. Verse 18 begins, and says, I do not speak concerning all of you. And if we connect that to verse 17, I do not speak concerning all of you when I say, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm not referring to all of you when I'm talking about the reward for those who obey me, those who follow my example, those who adopt an attitude of humility, those who serve others. I'm not talking about all of you because one of you will betray me. And so this is a helpful reminder that disobedience does not lead to blessing. Disobedience leads to the burden of judgment. Judas still has an opportunity to change his mind. And we're going to talk about how this is part of a fulfillment of Scripture. We're going to talk about how Satan enters Judas. But I want you to know there is human responsibility present. Judas is responsible for the decisions that he makes. What an opportunity. I really believe as you read the text, as you watch it unfold, it's it's really one more opportunity for Judas to change his mind to repent from his decision to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a reminder, not just to him, but to all of the disciples and all of us, that this betrayal and disobedience does not lead to blessing. It leads to the burden of judgment and This betrayal of Jesus is described as that which does not lead to blessing. I'm not talking about all of you when I say, if you obey, if you follow my example, you're going to be blessed. But secondly, we see the description of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas described as that which is a fulfillment of Scripture. And so what we get to see here is it's part of God's plan from the very beginning. Let's continue to read. It says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Now, you could take a look at that text and say, okay, perhaps Jesus is talking about the 11 that he has chosen. And one of them is the betrayer. One of them is going to betray Jesus. But elsewhere... In John chapter 6, verse 70, we see that Jesus didn't just choose 11 of them. He chose all 12 of them. In John chapter 6, verse 70, it says this. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is the devil? So he chose all of them, including Judas. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the 12. I just want to leave this here. And you can do with it what you'd like. Not all election leads to salvation. Election is simply God's choosing. And here we see God has chosen all 12 of his disciples. And one of the disciples is going to betray him. And that election does not lead to salvation. Ultimately, the reason Jesus chose Judas is because he knew he would betray him. And so, as we continue to read, it says it's a fulfillment of Scripture, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled, and this is uh, Psalm 41.9, that the Scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. When you sit down for a meal with someone, you sit down with a friend, you share a meal together, you... You break bread. You uh, you eat with your friends. You don't necessarily eat with your enemies, right? Not gonna. Have you ever eaten with someone you didn't like, or you know, even an enemy? I mean, it's pretty tense. I, I I've at times walked into into conversations where people were sitting at the table and they weren't getting along, and you could feel the tension in the room, even if they said anything or not. And and when it comes to eating, sitting down, and breaking bread, that is. That is a picture of, of what friends do. But the sad part about this is the, the, the thing that hurts the most is, is that the very one you would think is your friend is the one who's stabbing you in the back. Now, um, Jesus, or this is a fulfillment of Psalm 41:9, where David talks about one who breaks bread with him and is going to betray him. and this, and that text is ultimately ful- fulfilled as Judas betrays jesus but what a sad reality that is but what we get to see here is is that the betrayal of jesus by judas was not a surprise it wasn't a result of jesus's weakness and having the ability to choose who would be good disciples no he chose judas because it's all part of the very plan of god this tells us something about jesus this tells us something about the nature of Jesus. He's, he can't be just a man, right? Mere men don't, don't choose folks knowing who they are, ultimately. Je- Jesus knows, knows that in the end, this is all part of his original plan. He must be something more than a man. He must be God. This is a fulfillment of Scripture as we continue to read. Uh, The the way that he describes it is not just as a fulfillment of Scripture, that which does not lead to blessing to those who disobey, but also that which was to be used not to shake up the faith of the disciples, but to strengthen the faith of the disciples. Now, how many of you know are thinking, like, like, if you're one of the disciples and then one of them betrays Jesus, you might be thinking... Jesus, what were you thinking about choosing this guy? I mean, maybe you're not as omniscient as we thought you were. Maybe you're not the Christ as we thought you were, but this is not to serve to shake up their faith of the disciples. It's to strengthen their faith. That's why it says now, I tell you before it comes, so that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. But the betrayal of Jesus was not a cause uh, for questioning or doubt. It was a A cause, a greater cause for placing a greater faith in Jesus who's got a greater plan. verse 20, Jesus, as he encourages these disciples and strengthens their faith, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. One of these disciples is going to betray Jesus, and Jesus says, But if you are sent by me, this is the encouragement to you, those who receive you receive me, and those who receive me receive my Father. So we get to hear about the description of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. What do we learn about Jesus? Jesus is sovereign, Jesus has been ordering the events of history. And even as he's he's left heaven for earth and lived on this earth and then begun his earthly ministry and and ministered for a few years and, and as he's heading in the final days of his life to a cross to die and part of that plan is the betrayal of one of his own in fulfillment of scripture, let alone Jesus is sovereign. This is a reminder, Jesus is not just a man. The invitation of John's gospel is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one, so that when you believe in him, you receive the life he offers in his name, a, forgive, a forgiveness, a life that is forgiven, a life that is abundant, a life that is free under the care of your shepherd. Can I give you a few takeaways in light of this? The first thing is this, God's sovereignty serves To settle our fears. God's sovereignty serves to settle our fears. I mean, think about the final days of Jesus' life and And one of his own betrays him. And in the end, of course, all of his disciples are shaking and not realizing exactly what's happening. And they won't realize it until everything passes after Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to them and their faith is strengthened and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But nevertheless, we're reminded the sovereignty of God should settle our fears. I want to open up for discussion in regards to fears that the sovereignty of God might settle what fears do we face that we need settled in our lives? Anyone want to share? Yeah, Jennifer. Our children. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we are, Our heart is for our kids. If we're raising our kids. We're, we're sharing the gospel with them. There might be fears of, are they going to be saved as well? And we can trust that God is sovereign over their salvation. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So knowing God is in control of all of it. Yeah, yeah. Any other fears that the sovereignty of God settles for you? Yeah, the sovereignty of God comforts us and settles us. Especially when we face heartache and yeah, things that we don't expect to happen. Yeah, anything else? Yeah. Yeah, you watch the news, you consider those who are in in positions of authority in our government and you sometimes wonder, Lord, Are you in control? Can I trust you? And God's sovereignty reminds us we can. Isn't it nice to know though that God's sovereign not just over all of the good that happens but also the evil that's going on? Now we don't always know God's purpose behind it. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose, and that purpose in the next verse is to conform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, but we don't always understand it all, but even though we don't understand it all, we can trust the one who does, and that's what faith is all about. It's turning to the Lord and saying, God, I trust you, you are sovereign, and you are good, and even though... I don't like the current circumstances I'm in. You know what you're doing, and I will continue to trust you. I will continue to put my faith in you. So the sovereignty of God, it settles our fears. The sovereignty of God also serves to strengthen our faith. It serves to strengthen our faith, not shake it. Um, What have you found most helpful when you need to be reminded of the sovereignty of God? What 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 helps you re- be reminded that God is in control? Uh, what are those things? Yeah, yeah. Going back to the Word of God and the promises of God, knowing the Word, reading the Word, memorizing the Word, that'll bring you back to trusting in those promises. So good. Yeah, Vicky. Yeah, yeah, you read the stories of scripture and you see people who are going through good times and, and, and hard times and they don't exactly see or know what's going on, but you take a look at back and you see God is in control. Even look at Job, you know, poor Job. He doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, we get to read about all the, all the things going on behind the scenes. The Lord is working. Uh, what an amazing thing that we can trust God. He knows what he's doing, Yeah. Yeah, anything else? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's bigger than it all. We can trust him. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, going back to the character of God and being reminded uh, of who he is. In scripture, again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are all good things. The word, times of prayer goes a long way, right? Just, Lord, I'm having a hard time trusting you right now. These circumstances are above my head. They're uh, beyond what I think I can deal with. But I can trust you, so prayer goes a long way. I think the fellowship of God's people goes a long way. Uh, isn't it amazing when someone has gone through a, a similar heartache or a similar crisis as you have, and then you, you get to chat with them and sit down with them, and they say, uh, you may not know it now, but as you look back later, as I have, God is still good, He's still sovereign, He's still holding it all together, you can trust Him. Uh, th- there's a great, a great comfort to those who, when you're in the middle of the painful circumstance, who, who, who just don't say anything, but they're just with you. And they say, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm just going to sit with you, and I hope my presence can be an encouragement to you. I'm just going to sit with you during this hard time. And so those are all things that remind us of God's sovereignty. I would say that God's sovereignty serves to settle our fears. It serves to strengthen our faith, and it serves to encourage our accountability. It serves to encourage our accountability. I want to bring it back to Judas, right? Judas is sitting there with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's walked with him for three years. He's been very close. He's heard his teaching. He's watched his miracles. I mean, what an opportunity to sit at the feet. of He's had his feet washed by Jesus. In a moment, Jesus is going to serve him food. The sovereignty of God reminds us of our accountability before him. What would you do? If you're sitting at a table and Jesus starts to name your secret sins at the table, and then he, he tells you if, if, if you continue in them, because he doesn't identify you right away, then ultimately your path is one of destruction and ultimately death. What would you do? I don't know about you. I'm hoping I'm repenting there, you know? Jesus, you called me out. You know my secret sin. I'm not going to walk in disobedience that leads to judgment. I'm going to walk in repentance that leads to ultimate blessing. In a moment like this, when we're reminded of the sovereignty of God, he knows our hearts. He knows our secret sins. And it's a reminder if you're walking in secret sin, repent. God is calling you to himself. Walk in newness of life experience the abundant life now abundant life doesn't happen after you die it begins the moment you trust in christ and he'll provide you the victory are there any secret sins that god is calling to your mind what an opportunity in light of his sovereignty to say god i'm turning to you forgive me of my sins and empower me by the power of your spirit to walk in newness of life you know as we get to hear about the description of the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, uh, we get to see that God, Jesus is sovereign. We don't just see the description. As we continue to read, we see the identification of the betrayer. Uh, Beginning in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Can I ask you, why was Jesus troubled? Yeah? He loved Judas. Let me ask you that question. Did Jesus love Judas? Did he? He washed his feet. He spent three years with him. He taught him. He walked with him. He even allowed him to do ministry with him. I mean, it's a reminder that you can be close to Jesus, you can be close to his people, but you can still be one who's not saved. And, and yet you got a man like, like Judas, whom Jesus loves, and he loved Judas, and he's grieved by the fact that Judas has departed from him and is about to betray him. Jesus is troubled Jesus is troubled, not just because he loves Judas, I think, but because he hates sin and its consequences. You want to talk about the destructive nature of sin? Take a look at Judas. You want to talk about the destructive nature of someone who walks so closely with Jesus? I mean, what an opportunity you have. And yet a man who has departed from him, a man who betrays Jesus. Uh some sometimes we take a look at God and we when we think about who God is, we see him as a strict taskmaster, right? He's looking down on you and he's waiting for you to step out of line, and when you step out of line, he's ready to, to send judgment your way. But we see that God is also a a loving father who cares for us. Who is Jesus? That's a question I want you to ask today. In the Old Testament, in in Jonah chapter 4, you know why Jonah fled to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh? Jonah knew that if he preached repentance to these people, that there was a possibility that these people would actually repent. And and Jonah knew that if they repented, because of the heart of God, these wicked, brutal, evil people, that God would actually relent from sending harm. Can I read that to you? Jonah Chapter 4, verse 2, it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know what about you, God? I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents in doing harm. Jesus loved Judas. He loved the Ninevites, the people who... Didn't know their left hand from their right hand. Didn't know good from evil. Yet Jesus still, God still loved them. How much more does He love us? You know, there was a a story told about a a church who, uh, one Sunday after church, they they voted and they said, "We're going to vote to get rid of our pastor." So they voted. The vote was unanimous. They got rid of him. They hired a new pastor, and they absolutely loved him. and and after a while, a new person came into the church and they, and they were having a conversation with the other folks. And they said, why, why did you, or describe for us the, the, the first pastor you had. And they said, well, he used to preach to us that we're all going to hell if we don't repent and turn to Jesus. And they said, oh, interesting. He said, well, uh, what about this next pastor? He said, they said, well, he preaches the same thing. He tells us we're all going to go to hell unless we turn and trust in Jesus As our Savior and Lord. And and the guy said, Well, what was the difference? He said, Well, the first guy, when he he said it, he actually seemed like he was enjoying it. (laughs) The second guy actually showed some compassion in regards to the fact that we could possibly repent. Who is God? Who is Jesus? let say that Jesus is one who, when he talks about the coming judgment and warns us of the destruction and ultimate death that will come, a eternal separation from God and his people forever and ever, he, he's a God of compassion and love. He doesn't do it with a smile. He wants us to repent in order that he might relent in his sovereign plan and his sovereign purpose. I just want to pause there for a moment. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus is gracious and compassionate. The God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. He, he desires to relent if we should repent. That's the kind of God we worship and the kind of God we serve. And so he identifies, uh, he identifies him as one of the twelve. Um, Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, Jesus has made comments all throughout the gospel of John and has said again and again, you know, someone's going to betray me, someone's going to betray me, someone's going to betray me. And perhaps the disciples thought, well, maybe it's one of those other disciples, but not one of the 12. Now it is identified it's one of the 12. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed, of whom he spoke. Can you imagine the disciples looking, at, who? Oh, who's? Who is it? Not? Is it me, Lord? You know, in other gospels, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? And and Judas is one of them who says, "Is it me, Lord?" Oh, he's a great hypocrite. In a moment, the disciples can't figure out who it is. They don't know it's Judas. He does a terrific job of making himself look like a disciple, talk like a disciple, when the reality is his heart is far from God. What a reminder that you can be close to God, be close to his people, but still not have salvation. It's a reminder that even among the people of God, there are those who aren't truly saved. Those who do not truly know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So he's identified as one of the 12 and as we continue to read verse 23 now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom uh, Jesus loved who is this disciple whom Jesus loved who would identify himself that way John John he's the author of uh, the book and all throughout and and we're going to this is the first time in chapter 19 verses 26 to 27, we'll see that that the disciple whom Jesus loved is going to reappear. Uh, at the empty tomb in chapter 20, verses 2 to 9, the disciple whom Jesus loved is going to reappear. In chapter 21, verse 1, and then verses 20 to 23, as Jesus appears at the Sea of Tiberias, among those seven, we're going to read about that. And then in verse, chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, we see that the author of this is Actually, the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you could identify yourself, if you could describe yourself to somebody, you know, some people, you know, who are you, what are you about? And some people define themselves by their job, by their relationship to others, by their marriage, by their family unit. Some people describe themselves as Christians, as believers. What a great identity to say, I'm... The one whom Jesus loved. Jesus loved all the disciples, right? But what a great thing that John says, I am one whom Jesus loved. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing if you don't know uh, what's happening right here. That that John is leaning on the bosom of Jesus. But uh, when they ate a meal, they would eat around a a U-shaped table. It's not like the ones that we see uh, when you sit down at your table and you, everyone's seated. I actually got a picture of that, if you could pop that up there. Uh, this was customary, so especially for these, these meals, they would sit there and uh, with their left elbow down, they would relax and they would have their feet out and, and then they would eat their meal together. And as they were eating their meal together, in this position, if you show the next one, uh, you can see John who's on the right side of Jesus as he's there, lean back on his Lord. So you can kind of see the picture there of what it looked like when they sat for a meal in that culture and that day and age. And it adds uh, some some help as we as the story unfolds verse 23 now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one is one of his disciples whom jesus loved verse 24 simon peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke <laughs> jesus said one of the one of you are going to betray me and peter he's not very close to jesus so he's not sitting on his left or his right. And Peter, Peter motions over to John. Hey, hey, you. Hey, John, can you go ahead and, and, and ask him, who is he talking about? Eh, something like Peter would say or do. <laughs> and as he does that, it says he motioned. And verse 25, then leaning back on Jesus' breast. And so you picture that. John is on his, his left elbow and he leans back on Jesus' chest. And he asks him and he says, um. Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Not everyone can hear the conversation, right? Uh, You've got one on his left, one on his right. Probably Judas is on his left. John is on his right. And John leans back and says, Hey, Jesus, who are you talking about? And he says, Who, I give this piece of bread. And he passes it over to Judas. What we get to learn about Jesus here is is he identifies who will betray him. Uh, Not only did we just learn in light of the description that he's sovereign, in light of the fact that he identifies him, he's also all-knowing. Jesus knows everything. Uh, If I could give you a couple things here, it would be this. Jesus knows if our hearts are dirtied with sin or cleansed by his blood. Jesus knew whose heart was clean. Jesus knew whose heart was for him and was all in. Those who would deny themselves, take up their cross and follow after Christ. And Jesus knew whose heart was not in the right place. Can I tell you this? Jesus knows your heart. He knows the state of your heart right here, right now. He knows if it's dirtied by sin. He knows if it's cleansed by his blood. He knows you better than you know yourself. There's no hiding from Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't just know if our hearts are dirtied by sin or cleansed by his blood. Jesus knows the motivations of our hearts. Uh, You may be able to fool your neighbor you're sitting next to. (laughs) You may be able to fool your neighbor into thinking, yeah, you're truly, genuinely saved. But the reality is Jesus knows Whether or not that's true reminds us, Judas reminds us that there are times when hypocrites sit among the believers, but Jesus knows whose hearts are his. Uh, Can I ask this question? Uh, Because Judas was among the 12 disciples, He's he's a leader, people looked up to him. Has the failure of a spiritual leader ever caused your faith to waver? And what lessons can be learned from such tragedies? Perhaps you've uh, come into contact with a pastor, a leader, someone you looked up to, even someone who discipled you, someone who was a Sunday school teacher and rocked your faith when uh, they fell in sin or disqualified themselves. Uh, what did you learn from that? What was that experience like? Any, anyone want to share? I'm glad everyone has had good experiences. <laughs> yeah man. yeah 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 and so, in times like that, uh praying for the salvation of that individual, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it brings more discernment, I heard over here. It, it strengthens your faith, I heard over here, in regards to, hey, this is my personal relationship with the Lord. And so God used those horrible circumstances uh, for good, it sounds like there. Um, anyone else want to share in terms of tragedies you've seen in the church and then how you learned from Harold? Harold. Yeah, yeah. It encourages accountability and it encourages us to be reminded uh, of our relationship with the Lord. He's He's watching over us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You see the need to pray for those in positions of spiritual leadership, uh, pastors, elders, deacons. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else want to share? Yeah, Um Howard Hendricks, he once shared that every time he learned of a pastor who fell, he he had a book, and he'd pull out his book, and he'd write down the name as a reminder. Whenever he needed it, he'd pull out that book, and he'd be reminded, I'm just one temptation away from a fall. What a reminder of the accountability we have before the Lord, but God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. He's He's all-knowing, and and in light of that, even something as horrific and tragic as the betrayal of Judas, something even more tragic is going to happen in a moment, but, but he's sovereign over it all. It's all part of his grander plan. He is God. And so we got to see Uh, We got to see the description, we got to see the identification, he was identified in this manner, and then thirdly we see the the sad conclusion that led to the betrayal. Verse 27, it says this, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. The the saddest verse you ever read in scripture. After he had, had given this piece of bread to Judas, Satan entered him. I want you to know, Judas is responsible. Even though this is a fulfillment of Scripture, even though Satan has entered him in this moment, he had opportunities. This was the last opportunity he had as Jesus passes him the bread. Don't do it. Change your mind. Repent. Repent in this moment. Jesus is showing you love, and you respond to his love with betrayal, with disobedience. And we see Satan entered... Um, him in the same way you can receive Christ it looks like you can receive Satan as well you open your heart up to disobedience to sin ultimately leads to destruction and death and uh, that's the unfortunate thing we read about here Um, uh, verse 27 now after the beach bread, Satan entered him then Jesus said to him what you do do quickly I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, what is Judas thinking, right? Wake up, buddy. Move along. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Man, Judas is good at what he does. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, but that he should give him something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. What a sad conclusion to the matter Uh, Jesus not only uh, do we learn that Jesus is sovereign that Jesus uh, is all knowing but we also learn that Jesus reveals the destructive nature of sin Uh, uh, the destructive nature of sin Judas reminds us that sinners need more than a good example to be saved Judas had the best example right He's walking with Jesus. He's, for three years he's 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 got this great example. What you need for salvation is Jesus said no one comes to the Father unless, or comes to me unless the Father draws him. Now, what we need is is a, is the Holy Spirit to, to draw our hearts to him. No matter how good it you are at preaching or teaching or how good you are at, at uh, um, um, arguing logically in, in a certain manner. If you're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to move in the heart of another, then you're wasting your time. It's a miracle when an unbeliever comes to faith in Jesus. We're talking about those who are dead spiritually needing to, to be raised in newness of life. It's kind of like you and I, if we went out uh, to a graveyard somewhere and uh, we invited each one of us, hey, I want you to preach the best sermon you could ever preach. I want you to share the gospel and I want you to preach with passion. And then I want you to do the altar call. And when the altar call, you know, when it's ready, I want you to want you to say, if you want to accept Jesus as your savior, come forward. How many of you know it'd be impossible? They're dead. They're not going to come out of there unless a miracle of God happens. It's not going to happen. Judas reminds us that, that guilty sinners, and we all are apart from Christ, need more than a good example to be saved. Secondly, Judas reminds us of the awful nature of sin. Sin has consequences. Uh, the, 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 the cost of sin is death. Not just physical death and eternity without God and his people forever and ever. Do you know if you read the rest of the gospels what ends up happening? Uh, Judas, after he betrays Jesus, you know, he feels remorse. Do you remember that? You read that? He feels remorse. He takes the 30, his silver and his 30 pieces of silver and brings it back. He feels remorse, but he doesn't feel repentance. Uh, one, one person once said Stephen Cole we need to realize that apart from God's grace we're all just like he was we all had the seeds of betraying Christ in our hearts before God graciously saved us you know we're here today and we think to ourselves oh Judas what a terrible man but the reality is the seeds of sin and betrayal are in each of our hearts apart from Christ but thanks be to God that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This is a reminder to take sin seriously. This is a reminder to turn to Christ and him crucified to receive salvation for your sin, But to do that, you first have to believe that Jesus was not just a man or a good prophet, but that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so that by believing in him, coming to him with a heart of repentance, you might have life, eternal life in his name, forgiveness of sins. What a great God we worship and we serve. Can we pray? Father in heaven, we um, thank you for what we continue to get to learn about Jesus. Even in the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, we thank you, Father, for the reminder that Jesus is sovereign, that the betrayal by Judas was all part of his plan. You had a plan and you had a purpose for it. Uh, And in light of it, Father, I pray that our faith would not be shaken, but our faith would be strengthened. As believers, we know who you are. We know who Jesus is. But if there's even uh, some doubt in the room about who Jesus is, or there is still a process of discovery concerning who Jesus is, Father, we pray by the power of your Spirit, the work of your Word and, your, and the Spirit in the heart of men and women, here, or those who might hear this or those we might share it with later, Lord, would do such a work in their hearts that they would uh, open up their eyes to the truth. They would have ears to hear and eyes to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God that they might receive forgiveness and everlasting life in your name. Uh, Father, I pray that the reminder of your sovereignty would settle our fears, would strengthen our faith, and would encourage a greater accountability before you. I pray, Lord, that the reminder uh, of your omniscience would remind us, Lord, we stand before you and you know our hearts inside and out. If there's any secret sin in there, Lord, that we would repent and turn to you and surrender that to you, Lord, and Father, the reminder of how much we need you. So Father, we, we pray, Lord, as we head out today, we would leave courage, with our faith strengthened. And Lord, that you would guide and direct our path, Lord. And if, you have an, if we have an opportunity to reach someone for you or to share the good news of Christ with them, we pray, Lord, that you would show us that opportunity and you give us the words to say, Lord. We thank you for our time together and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.